You know, I preached last week, and as I'm preparing for this week, you know, it's truly, um, I'm sure many of you would uh, agree with me, you know, I am broken as much as you are. You know, not, although I preach up here, I do not admit to of attaining any of these things. I failed in many of areas, and I share with you these things because I have failed them. I personally have experienced these things. So I sympathize with you if you could sympathize with me. But like anything else in our journey and our Christian walk as sojourners on this earth is to continue on, knowing that we're not perfect, knowing that we have to rely on Christ for everything and grace of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to do your work. So I have compassion on all you and I hope you have compassion on me. And as we uh, am truly preaching to myself and to my heart that God's word would do its work, and I pray that um, that God would keep us humble in our endeavor to pursue our holiness, to to glorify our Lord. You know, there's a book. We're talking about high calling for Christian workers. I recently picked up a book about a month ago. It's uh, popular among CEOs, and the book is titled "You're Not the Person I Hired." Okay, and it is really becoming really popular. It's about survival guide to hiring, hiring right, hiring right people for your organization. Because this whole premise of this book is based upon how so many people lie in their interviews. How they present themselves, they're willing to do anything or say anything to get that particular job. And as CEOs, to filter through all that and get down to the nitty gritty and find out what you're all about. Okay? And it says in this book, CEO, these are, you know, the top smartest people in the world, in business world anyway. They say that direct people they hire to work for them directly. These are not down in the food chain. These are people who are directly working for CEOs or other C's are they, 56% of the time, they've pulled over 2,000 candidates. 56% of the time, they end up letting this person go within the first 12 months. They fail in this area because people do a good job disguising themselves. Okay. And the book says, forget about these things. You've got to throw these things out the door first. Where school, what school they went to, what GPA they received, there are even past experiences. You have to throw these out the door, including questions like asking. Don't even ask these questions. I used to ask these questions. I asked questions to some of you during our members' interviews. It says, tell me about your strengths and weaknesses. Why should I hire you? Where do you see yourself in five to ten years? How do you feel about working long hours? I'm sure you've probably heard these questions once in your life in the interview. But people, if you really think about it, people could say anything they want to make themselves look good. Okay? And it's funny. Sometimes you ask these questions, you realize... But 70 pe- 70% of the people ask, give you the same answers. So if you ask those, those generic answers, you should throw those people out the door anyway. Okay? They're useless. You know, there's a saying that people out to, are out to get you. And just like in, in the, when you're interviewing people, those interviewees are out to get you. You're hiring people. And these, this book, applies his thinking and encourages. I, I, I enacted this in my work, is that I go through a three-step process. 
I tried to meet, have this candidate meet three different people, including myself and other people in my company, in three different locations. And the last step I take is I take my wife Sophie and the candidate, and if they have a spouse, we go out to dinner to take the final sniff test, right? To make sure everything is, is there. So if I get my wife's opinion as well. But as employees, the title of this book, You're Not the Person I Hired, you know, as employees, as Christian employees, we do not want our employers to say this about us. Because it's not just our reputation on the line. Our careers are on the line. Our professional lives are not on the line. It's the testimony of Christ as Christians that is on the line. So when you get reviews, when we receive reviews at workplaces, it's not important what they say about us. Because not only are we getting the review, but testimony of our Lord is being reviewed at the same time. There's a gravity to that. It's gravity to, to what our bosses or unbelieving masters think about us. So we should think twice about asking for reviews. Because we always tie, usually tie reviews to pay increases, don't we not? Do we not? Right? But we should think twice. Let's go to some biblical examples of men who were good slaves, successful workers, and Lord blessed them. We see in Genesis, Joseph. God blessed him. In Genesis 39.6, he said he was uh, faithful to his masters. And when he was in prison, God blessed him. And he demonstrated humility and was honored by the Pharaoh. Despite trying circumstances, he was upright. And he adorned the doctrines of God. Another example, another slave, further on in the Old Testament, is Daniel. He was captive. He was tempted. But he was tempted, yet he came true in his determination to be faithful to God. God blessed him. And Daniel 1 says, He showed respect to those he worked for, those who were over him. And even in his old age, he continued to put God first in his priorities. He was distinguished in Daniel 6 for his work. He separated himself. Even his enemies could not fault him. Despite their attempts to even kill him, Daniel continued to be faithful and to serve God. In his old age, even in his youth and in his old age, he'd born and he was dedicated to the doctrines of God, putting God's priorities first. And just as a review, you know, this is, we're going over Titus 2. This is Paul's instructions on right life. And we get to this point of verses 9 and 10, where Paul instructs Titus on bond slaves. You know, they say, but 70% of our working hours we spend at work. We live in a, we work in a worldly environment. And I know it's not easy to excel in that environment. We're tempted by and challenged by many things. 
And we are to, even in that surrounding, that environment, we are to strive for practical holiness. Considering this as a mission field, because everybody's watching us. Everybody, whether, as you go higher up in the echelon, as many of you are striving, more and more people, as you go higher and higher, are watching every move. Okay. I was talking to uh, a consultant this week who helps me out in various things. And she said, Bob, there's one thing you need to do. You're a leader in your company. Everybody's watching you. You need to smile more. That's your problem. I didn't disagree with her. I know how I am. Because she said, everybody's watching every move. Everybody notices what you wear, how your hair is. I don't know what they could find in my hair. <laughs> the same every day, right? But everybody's watching you. And it is true, as Christians, they're watching you to take you apart, take us apart, to find things, not a critical in you, critical in Christ. It's a mission field. There is no secular work. Every work that you do, every single person in here we do, it's sacred work. It's one of the most honorable, noble things you could do as Pastor James, Pastor Jason, Pastor Joshua, Marcus. It is the same thing and we should have the same approach. It is not our secular job. It's our spiritual duty. It is our calling. It is the will of God, of our Master. A.W. Tozer wrote, It is not what a man does determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is his attitude. It is our call. And I shared with you the backdrop of this text. There were about 6 million um, slaves in the Roman Empire. That equates to about 50% of the people. They say even up to 70%. And as opposed to what we imagine American slavery uh, system was, is that in the Roman system, many people became slaves due to debt, due to war, conquering, Roman Empire just expanding. So many educated people, doctors, lawyers, highly skilled people became slaves. So that's the context. We had believers who became to the Lord were slaves under the system where they were highly skilled, who probably had masters who were less skilled than them, less educated than them, yet they were their masters for one reason or the other. In that context, Paul says, submit. You need to be submissive and excellent in what you do. Wholeheartedly serving them, your earthly master, as you serve the true master. And as we went to the text, we talked about how it is the inward submission that is critical. It's not an economic. Our jobs, as we approach your work every morning, as you walk through those doors or corridors, to your cubicles, to your desk, it's not an economical thing you're doing. You're not earning a paycheck. Yeah, that's a byproduct of what we do. What we're doing is completely spiritual. It's a daunting task, I know. Therefore, like anything else we do spiritually, we need to rely on the grace of God. It is not within us to be the testimony of Christ. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, to allow us to be the testimony to our workplaces. William MacDonald wrote, In the earlier days of Christianity, Christian slaves frequently brought 
higher prices to auctions than heathen bondservants. And it should be true today with Christian employees. In the olden days, people wanted to hire or buy, purchase Christian slaves. They had a premium because they're such good workers. Is that so true for you today? Is that true for us today? That's a condemnation on us. Shame on us. The first thing should not be our degrees. It should be that you're a Christian. Right? Shame on us. We have lost that saltiness to a degree. Then we said first quality was to be submissive in all things. They use the, Paul used the word urge. It's a military term as giving an order. It says in everything, in every respect. Not in some things, when the bosses are good to us or masters are good to us. In everything, it says. Voluntarily unto the Lord. And I shared with you 1 Timothy 6. Those who are under yoke as slaves must regard their own masters as deserving of full respect. This is this will prevent the name of God and Christian teaching from being discredited. For those who have been believing have believing masters must not show them any less respect. Then we talked about second part of verse nine. The first part, that's where we ended, was to be well pleasing. It's not doing the minimum amount of uh, work the job requires, but it's going to the maximum full extent. Working hard, not to just earn a better paycheck or promotion, but to leave, leave an impression of our testimony. He does not promote his own welfare, his status, but we do it so that Christ could be honored. In Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than men? And that's the perspective. Then we stop there. So this is the computer review. Then we go into, Paul goes into the two negatives and one positive in how to be excellent or superior. First is not being argumentative. Not arguing. It literally means, and this is more applicable is not talking back not talking back that implies active disobedience resistance or rebellion it carries the idea of not being contentious in Romans 13 13:1 every person being in subjection to the government governing authority there is no authority except from God and those which exist has been established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they oppose the will that receives the condemnation upon themselves. Therefore, we apply that to our masters, our employers. God has ordained that. We have to trust in that. We have to take comfort in that. We have to rest in that and have faith in that. You know, there's, this is a thought of supporting our boss's idea. How many times have you been in a meeting where you might have disagreed with your boss or your supervisor? He or she asked you to do something or asked your department to do something and you disagree. There's just too much work or other reasons you disagree. But you 
in front of them. This is the passive-aggressive behavior. In front of them, you do it. You're smiling, perhaps. Maybe not smiling. You walk off, and with the rest of the five employees in your department, you grumble just long, right along with them. And perhaps you even prove yourself where you disagreed and prove it so that that you don't do your work trying to prove your boss wrong. And you pull away from that, not working wholeheartedly to prove your point. That's, in a way, rebellion talking back. Not argumentative means rebellion. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful of the 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 conversations that go on in the water cooler or around the water cooler or during lunch because most of the time if you see your coworkers grumbling it really isn't good usually isn't good especially about our bosses and we have to be careful how we partake in that or not partake in that because once we come out of that with far Supervisors have made that decision, whether we disagreed or not. Once that decision has been made, we need to support that. We have to support that decision and every, we have to do everything we can to make that idea a success. Whether it becomes a success or not, you leave it up to the Lord and you work wholeheartedly toward that end. It's just like at church. When elders make a decision, it's your job to submit as commanded by scripture. Otherwise, it's disobedience, it's lack of submission. Similar principle applies at work. Second is not pilfering. Literally means not stealing or putting aside for oneself or misappropriating or embezzlement. You know, Cretans were known for this, right? Titus 1.10 says, For there were many who were insubordinate, Idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of circumcision, whose mouths were must be stopped. It says they were Cretans were liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. In a petty theft, because many slaves exist in Roman households, petty theft was very, very common. Many slaves felt they were underpaid, mistreated. So what they would do is misappropriate things themselves. So they were mistreated, so they would go and take little extra portions of food for themselves from the, the food shack. I'll give you a little study on current economics. U.S. Chamber of Commerce says statistics show 20% of all businesses fail, close because employee theft, similar to pilfering by, by slaves. National retail survey indicates in 2002, shoplifting was $9.7 billion. That was recorded. There's probably more that wasn't recorded. Shoplifting was 9.7, but employee theft was $15.1 billion. It's about 60% more. Employee theft is much higher. Because most thieves are employees. That's basically what it says in retail organization. I'm sure in non-retail, it's probably the same thing. Most theft occur is, is, is happening, is done by employees. And I'm sure it's climbing today. I don't see that decreasing. Do you? Now you say Walmart, one of the biggest companies in the world, 
if you take employee theft, not just theft alone, employee theft out, that alone, that amount, you could create a Fortune 1000 company. That's how theft is. That's money. That's tangible things. Food, jewelry, other things. That's obviously... And I don't... You know, that, that happens. That temptation happens. And I pray that that does, is not the case with you. But there's some other things that can be abused and that's maybe a less, little less tangible. And we're believers that you and I can be challenged in. I think one area is time or certain privileges. Perhaps unauthorized phone calls. Internet is huge, right? Internet usage. We have to be careful, people. Most companies could track exactly how much time you spend on your internet and what, which website you go to, how much you spend time on Zynga. Most companies have that access, so don't be fooled. I do. I choose not to look at my employees most of the time, but I do. Most companies do. They say 20 to 25 percent of employees' productivity, average American employees' productivity, is wasted on internet usage, not personal phone calls or anything. Just internet usage. And when is internet one of the highest points of the year? Right now, March Madness. It's one of its highest. They say during March Madness, during that tournament time, 1.2 billion dollars is wasted. This is CBS Sports Line. Just on one website. One website. People go there. Okay. They said perhaps, said every, every moment, there's 300,000 computers logged on to the website. They said average employee, Gallup poll. Gallup poll. The 75%, uh, 75 minutes of the day, okay, of average, every American spends on the internet. Brothers and sisters, as Christian slaves, Christian employees, we must be trustworthy. I can't put a limit. How much is is uh, appropriate use of internet? We all have access. We have all have phones. We've all made personal calls. How much is the limit? I can't give you a limit. But one thing I think where we encroach the line is where we become untrustworthy as workers in that area. It doesn't justify what what was done to us. It's regardless of that. And some of us, some of you who travel in your businesses, we have expense accounts. Some companies entrust you with their credit cards. As you rise in your positions, you know, some of you could go out to steak and lobster lunch, or you could choose to have a, a Togo sandwich. It's up to you. But we need to be trustworthy. Because much has then been entrusted to you, that much more. We need to be trustworthy. Because our, what, if our bosses may be trusting you, you know, when you turn in your expense account, who evaluates those? Those accounting clerks who go through the, every expense, every line item, and they see what you spend, and you can easily lose your respect, the testimony of Christ. We must be blameless, above reproach in these areas. You would see in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira who embezzled money. And what happened to them? Instant, right? Psalm 119. 
How blessed are those whose ways is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his, observe his testimonies, who seek him with all his heart. The third category, it's a positive. It says loyalty. Verse 10. Showing all good faith. It's becoming, again, reliable, trustworthy, quality of a person, dependable, faithful, reliable. It's giving 100% all the time. Giving 100% doesn't mean you give 15% on Mondays, 30% on Tuesday. It's not cumulative. It's all the time. And we see this in absenteeism. I know a person who I worked with in 10 years, that person has not called in six. In 10 years. One commentator wrote, needless absenteeism is a sin. We can't, as Christian workers, we can't leave the, the, the level of loyalty. We should leave no doubt to our employers. Ephesians 6.5 Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. We need to go beyond just the outwardly. We need to be loyal inwardly. You know, there's a... Um, what do most companies do? They analyze everything. They have metrics for everything. They measure everything, right? Every little, every little thing on your productivity. But when our companies measure us, we should have high level of productivity, a high level of excellence and loyalty. Matthew Henry writes, Faithfulness in a servant lies in the ready, punctual, thorough execution of master's orders, keeping his secrets and counsels, dispatching his affairs and managing with frugality and as to trust and preventing as far as he can all spoils, loss or damage. This is enthusiastically doing the work with sincerity of heart, not as man-pleasers, but as if Christ is watching, which He truly is. Then becomes the purpose. What is the purpose? What is the result of this? Verse 10 says, that they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior in every respect, this is the final purpose clause. You know, I didn't go to seminary, but I learned by reading. It's the henna clause, right? It's a purpose clause. Why do we do all these things? And here's the purpose. To adorn the doctrine of our Savior, which fo- focuses on teaching that comes from God, the gospel message of redemption unto salvation. It is adorn. What does that mean? Our sisters should know that. It comes from the word cosmeo. What does that mean? It comes, we get the word cosmetics. Okay. The purpose is to make not ourselves beautiful, to make Christ beautiful to the unbelieving world by our walk at work. Also, cosmeo means to put things in order. So you, you know, Women, I think, they put their makeup to make everything in order, or try to, at least. And 
to make it look night, what was undone overnight. <laughs> we do our best, I guess, to put everything in order. That was supposed to be funny, but... <laughs> As opposed to 1 Timothy 2.9 where Paul teaches women to not adorn themselves physically but that this is adorn yourself spiritually. It's present tense. It's habitual, continual, perpetual practice. As opposed to the Cretans. It's to make Christ beautiful. Again, brothers and sisters, Everybody looks at us. Everybody examines us. We live a trans- transparent life. And we should live our transparent lives. We should, our co-workers should know everything about us. Our private lives. How we conduct our families. How do we, what do we do at church? What roles we hold? What our hearts uh, are yearning after? It's a case we make for Christ. The beauty of Christ. You know, this is the only time the New Testament uses this word to make the Word of God beautiful. In this, by using this word. So therefore, Christian workers, thus meaning, Christian workers have the unique opportunity of making God's teaching beautiful that other people don't have. In a way, you have opportunities that pastors don't have who work in full-time ministry. You have that unique opportunity. When slaves obey in their context, when employees obey, we can make Christ, the Word of God, beautiful. So what detracts us? What gets in the way of from making our lives an example for the Gospel? I think one of the greatest enemies in the workplace, I'll just give you my input here, I think one is lack of contentment. First Timothy 6, 7, 9 says, uh, 6, 8, If you have food and covering, and these, we shall be content. But those who want riches fall into temptations and snares of many foolish and harmful desires. You know, we can easily grumble and complain about many things at work. Our pay our benefits, our hours. I think we've all been there. The people we work with. You know, for some of the people that we work with, this this never ends. It's day after day after day. Just one complaint of another and another. And we can't get caught up in that. In that way, we need to be set apart. We need to show contentment. We need to go out of our way to show contentment. We have an awesome responsibility of making the truth of Christ attractive. That is, they would not find anything to criticize about our faith through our work ethic. We are called to be the salt and light of our workplaces. The second detractor can be, I think, just flat out lying or dishonesty. We need to be on guard It's so easy to... Lying doesn't mean just telling complete false. But disguising the truth a little bit for our own benefit. I see this happening. 
This is why auditors exist. This is why some of you auditors have jobs. I used to be an auditor, right? Hazel, you're an auditor. We pay Hazel. There's people lying, therefore you have jobs. You see Enrons of the world. Congress had to make a Sarbanes-Oxley Act to keep people from lying. Just dishonesty. Proverbs 19.22 What is desirable in a man is his kindness and is better to be poor than to be a liar. But this area, dishonesty, can come in different forms. Not just, again, not outright explicit lines, but in small forms where we disguise ourselves in many ways. We hide the corners, the dirty laundry a little bit in our work habits or where we lack in work habits, where we're not upright. Maybe we don't come to work on time. Promptness is our challenge. Maybe we misappropriate even the office supplies we use. Again, internet, phone calls. Maybe we overestimate the numbers that we came up with for ourselves to make ourselves look better during reviews. Again, burning bridges where at the end when you're walking off, you just cut off all relationships. They don't want to have to do anything with you. The last area, I think this is where you, you can lie to a large degree. I think on, even on resumes and interviews, are your accomplishments, your qualifications, overdoing it. I had one person I was interviewing. I, would, I go through that rigorous process. At the end, I went through all that. I went to even dinner with my wife and his wife. I ended up not hiring this person. I was doing his check, and I couldn't get his last check was a reference check. So I wanted to talk to his employers. And this man... I looked at up his company, and his company address came up, and it was just something weird. So I had a co-worker who was going home that way. I checked, told him to go check a com- uh, the location. He said he had about 70 people working for him. And he goes, and my co-worker goes there, and he goes there, and the address is a UPS store. It's a P.O. box. And certainly then the red flags go up. I go, oh, geez. You know, it took about a month process. I went to dinner with this guy and everything to get this over with. Then at the end, there's just it was all about lies. His resume was just full of lies, to lo- make the long story short. Smart guy, looks like a solid family, and he professed to be a Christian. He was playing that up with me during dinner time with my wife. You know, I was so disappointed. I think I was hurt by this guy. You know, bring the Christian card. We need to be careful in these areas, in the subtle areas of life, subtle areas in the workplaces. When we want, I know sometimes it gets hard finding a job, but that much more we need to be upright. I'm talking about burning bridges. When we leave, man, we should leave, and that person want, wants to hire you back. So when they call on your reference check later, would you call so and so back, uh, hire him back or her back? He said, most definitely. In a heartbeat. I've heard people say that. In a heartbeat. I wish I could. Last week I said, when I shared about a person who was leaving and the the boss cried. And when you leave, the boss should cry. And it shouldn't be tears of joy either. (laughs) She cried because it's sad to see you leave. A true story. I read a note. A non-Christian working for a Christian boss read a note. 
who resigned at the company, and he gave him a book. There's a book called Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Albom. It's a small book. I don't know if some of you read it. And inside the book, he wrote to his supervisor as he was leaving. He says, thank you for being my mentor and friend. He says, this book is about people who cross your path and make a lifelong impression. And so this said, I strongly believe you'll be one of the five people I meet in heaven. Man, our people who, who we work with should say this about us. Then we have lived the testimony. The five people that you'll see, one of the people you'll see in heaven. That's awesome. That's the kind of impression we need to leave. Now what is the reason for all this? Why do we work to, uh, for this end? What is the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose is to have Christ known for the gospel. This is the evangelistic strategy Paul unfolds here. It's evangelism through not preaching, adornment. Right? This is the goal of slaves, employees, for workers. Paul does not instruct slaves to preach the, the word Proclaim the gospel. Do it through action. This is carrying out Matthew 28. This is, your workplace is Jerusalem and Judea. Forget the end of the earth. This is Jerusalem. What is implied here is by our actions that we do not tarnish the gospel in the first place, but it should point to Christ, the glories of Christ, the beauty of Christ through our adornment, the way we work. This is the purpose of being submissive, being superior, not argumentative, not pilfering and being loyal and well-pleasing. You know, it's good that we go on OC teams. It's good that you go to Czech Republic or other places. But this is your mission field. You're always on a missions team. You're always on a missions team. One side note we are talking about in our CLI yesterday. One side note. Quick rabbit trail. Is that one thing? I, you plan out your life as a mission. Center. I think it's good to go on mission fields outside of your work as well. You know, plan out. Be good stewards of your PTO or your vacation time. Save up that time. Save up that week so you could be on OC team. You know, don't use it frivolously. Use it for the kingdom of God. Use your vacation time, your PTO time, for the glory of God to serve on mission teams. Okay, back to this. This is where your business, um, your belie- as believers in your businesses, had the opportunity to be minister, evangelist, to be Paul. Our concern should be whether we get promoted, our pay raises, our testimonies. How can I make Christ beautiful through our adornment? How do we carry ourselves? Power and money is not sovereign, right? Joshua shared last week during second hour, one of the funniest things I've heard. He's, he's on a roll these days. Is that <laughs> during fasting, he said, some of us, God's not sovereign, in terms of fasting context. Our stomachs are sovereign. Like we skip a meal, we, and like things fall apart. We get nervous, break out in a cold sweat, because our stomachs are sovereign. It's so important what we have for lunch and dinner. But for some of us, Getting that raise, that extra pay is so sovereign. Right? Getting that extra recognition, extra title next to your name in the business cards 
And even the business, uh, those of your students, what you're pursuing, your degrees, after your names, is so sovereign. That's everything goes into that. But I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, making Christ beautiful should be sovereign through our work lives. You know, we could pass out tracks to blue in our face. We could sweat our to no end on OC teams. But you go back to work on that following Monday and falls apart. It does us no good. It's meaningless. We need to live upright in these areas to be a testimony of redeemed life. This is the formula Paul gives for us. Paul instructs slaves not to preach the gospel, but to influence in a manner through our actions, regardless of our position. Another perspective I'll give you is that how many of you are temp workers or contract workers? Raise your hand. We're not permanent employees. Everybody should raise your hand. We're all temporaries. We're all contract workers. And we work for the firm. And the head of that firm is Christ. We're all sojourners. We're on a temporary journey. Why is that so valuable to us? Yeah, we should work hard. And what God gives you through that work, it's great. But you have one supervisor, one boss. It's Christ. We need to imitate His life. Although pay is 100% deferred, Right? In this firm? I heard the retirement plan is great. (laughs) Right? And I heard it gives the highest employee satisfaction in the end. (laughs) Those of us who make it. Right? And it's promised for you. Let's live out our lives for Christ at our workplaces. Don't hang on to what's on our business cards and business titles. What office we hold. The corner office we may have. One title we should have is an evangelist, adorners of Christ. That's the greatest call. Therefore, we should be on guard perpetually as temporary workers in our workplaces. And God gives, through Paul, a great evangelistic strategy at our workplaces. He unfolds it for you. It's beautiful. Our work ethic, our walk at work, should have our non-believers thirst for Christ by looking at you. How do you do that? How do you pull that off with such humility? And you point to Christ. And time will come. Time will come because unbelievers are hurting all over the world. In your workplaces, they're hurting. One time I even had a witch, right? A witch. She was a devout witch. And her her father just had cancer. And she came to me to ask for prayer. Right? People hurt. Their parents die. They're going through divorce, marital problems, and you want to be there with your Bible then. You want to be there with the gospel then. Okay, you've set the, we set, set the platform through our work life and the opportunity, and it will present itself, then you preach the word. Then you preach cross, the cross of Christ and the blood that forgives 
right? So they'll see the love of Christ in you. Then you show them 1 John 5, for this is love of God. And we could do this in 1 John again, that his commandments are not burdensome. We could do this by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit. Let us conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, that our walk and work would be attractive, that we would be attractive ornaments for God that would draw not attention to ourselves, but to the cross. Just a few final thoughts. Said, let's examine ourselves, how we have been conducting ourselves at work, and repent perhaps. Again, I'm preaching to myself. It bring, this teaching, Titus 2, just brings you to your knees. It points out all my shortcomings. I'm sure all of you have memory banks. My memory bank is longer than many of you. So let's repent together and turn this ship around. And let's pray for our people at work that God would give us opportunities for the gospel to go forward. But we don't stand the chance unless we have adorned. All right. and let's work diligently, work wholeheartedly for the testimony of the gospel. God has commanded us to work and it's to his honor and it's becoming a testimony. It's, again, it's not about having a Bible at your desk, not having a picture of the cross or precious moments, things on your desk. That's living our lives so that the unbelieving world would see the platform for the gospel would be built. And we have to labor literally on that behalf. Regardless of what position we may hold, how much we get paid that people should see see unmistakably that we are with Christ. And lastly, I'll just leave this with you, is that let's follow Christ's example and be eternally focused. We should remember the example of Christ, God-honoring servant who laid down his life willingly to do what is difficult, a perfect servant, a son of God. Our employer should say, if Christianity caused my employees to act in such a way, I want to know all about it. And most difficult circumstances you may be in, the crisis is sufficient for you. You can't endure. You can't endure. And you may be hated for your faith as well. As John 15 teaches us, the world will hate you, but remain in the vine. Endure, persevere through the most difficult working situations, most difficult employer you may have. But remember, as followers of Christ, we are not of this world. We're, again, temporary workers. This is not permanent. We are not to be identified with their careers or titles, what we do. We're identified you know, being a Christian that we may live, as Romans 12.1 says, to live as living sacrifices. I pray that God grant us the grace to adorn the doctrines of God, 
that will illustrate the value of Christ and the cross through our walk at work. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we give you praise. We give you praise for redeeming us in your sovereign time to undeserved sinners. And as undeserved sinners, we go to work. In many ways, we fail. Father, would you forgive us as we repent of our sin, that we may reflect on our lives and live accordingly from this point on, as Titus 2 calls us to. That we would live and work in an excellent manner, being submissive to adorn the doctrines of God so that Christ would shine brightly through our work life. Would you give us grace to endure so that we can accomplish what you have called us to? We pray that we will rely on the Holy Spirit, that we will not do it according to our flesh, but the Spirit which enables us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.